Today is Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. This is the Quick Start Podcast from CBN News. I'm Billy Hollowell. There's a revival unfolding in American prisons, and China has found a new way to restrict religious worship. We'll have those top stories and more on today's podcast, News from a Christian Perspective. You can subscribe to the show on your favorite platforms, give us a rating, and share it with a friend. And hey, send us your thoughts. You can email us at quickstartpodcast at cbn.org and head over to cbn.com slash quickstartpodcast. Joining me now is Trey Goins Phillips. How's it going, Trey? It's going well. It's going well. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, it's strange now. It's just you and I this week because Dan is out on vacation and you were out last week. So it's kind of musical chairs. I know. I know. Look, while we're talking about people who have comments... I know since Elon Musk bought Twitter a, a while back, people are starting to use Twitter again. So you should follow us at Faithwire News and CBN News. You can also tweet us there. Uh, if you have complaints about Billy or about me, <laughs> <laughs> you can send them to us on Twitter too. So, you know, just think about it. Think about it. I love that. Think about it. Go go and complain about us or give us a nice comment rather on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I got to tell you, the main thing today is going to be very interesting because it is Marjorie Dannenfelser. I know you've spoken with her in the past as well. She's the president of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, and she was a central figure in the battle over Roe v. Wade. She's going to be coming on to talk to us about abortion in America, what things are like a year after Roe was overturned, and why we're seeing an influx of pro-life clinic attacks. So we're going to be hearing from her today on the main thing. But before we get there, the news in 90 seconds. There's reportedly a revival taking place in prisons across America with CBN News reporting that thousands of inmates are being baptized and giving their lives to Jesus Christ. God Behind Bars, it's a national prison ministry that works to restore the lives of inmates, helps build up their faith during incarceration and after release. They are citing 130 prisoner baptisms over the past week alone. It's pretty incredible. And you've got Isaac Holt, the director of innovation for God Behind Bars. He told CBN that his organization creates satellite campuses in prisons all over the country, and they do that in an effort to introduce inmates to Jesus. Now, in related news, there's an innovative ministry that was birthed out of a friendship between college buddies Tim Mackey and John Collins. Now, they engage people around the world in scripture. They created the Bible Project back in 2014, and the effort has since sparked more than 180 videos and 350 podcast episodes for a total of over 620 million views in over 200 countries. Now, the really interesting thing here about this ministry is that the language availability makes the resources available to people all over the world. So you have people in the Muslim world hearing about the Bible and and again, locations all over the globe. It has been translated this content into 56 languages. The central goal of the Bible project is to make scripture accessible to people's lives. And finally, in other news, there are reports that the Chinese Communist Party is attempting to rewrite the Bible. We have covered that on the show before, but there is now another troubling allegation about the restrictive government that officials are testing out a new app demanding that citizens pre-register before attending religious services. Todd Nettleton, chief of media relations for Persecution Watchdog, The Voice of the Martyrs, 
He told CBN's Faithwire that people in China's Henan province have to fill out the app to get approval to go to any kind of religious service. So any church, it's not just Christians, it's anybody looking to go to religious service, they would have to fill out this app. He said authorities can easily then pinpoint and single people out, capturing their information. And again, these are people who are interested in going to religious services. Despite only being utilized right now in that one province, Nettleton believes that the Chinese Communist Party could eventually expand usage of the app to other areas of the country. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check them out. The stories on each of those over at CBNNews.com. Trey, I mean, a lot of encouraging news there, but that China story about the apps, that is really disturbing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, to hear those two stories back to back. The Bible Project app, which, of course, is created by somebody here in the United States, where we have the freedom to access scripture and to read the Bible. And you know, all that ingenuity has come out of a free society. And now millions upon millions of people, 56 different languages, they're benefiting uh, from scripture now where they might not have otherwise. And then in China, you see what you just talked about uh, in this last story happening where scripture is being restricted. People are being blocked from, from actually, you know, having access to the Bible. And then the people who do have access to the Bible, if they have it, uh, it's restricted, right? It's like the Chinese version of the Bible. It's watered down. It's been edited. Books have been chopped. Verses have been rewritten uh, to promote the Chinese Communist Party. So uh, in essence, that's obviously not scripture anymore, right? That's just some sort of propaganda that looks and feels kind of like scripture. Yeah, and that was something I had asked uh, Todd Nettleton about as well. You know, hey, Todd, what's going on with the Bible rewrite? And they don't have a lot of new information on it, but it really is disturbing to to see a country crack down in this way. And you think about all the ways that that app can be used. I mean, A, if you're signing up for the app, you're essentially saying, hey, I have interest in religious services. So you're already flagging yourself there. And if they show up and you haven't filled it out, right, um, that makes you wonder what happens if officials show up at a church and they say, take out your cell phones, show us who is registered to be here. Uh, what happens if you haven't done that? So there's so many different elements of that that really are just so terrifying. And it makes you grateful to live in, in a country like America. Yeah, absolutely. And it, also, I think these stories, while they are scary and it's important for us to be you know, politically active. Obviously, we want to vote for candidates that care about these issues, that care about religious liberty or here in the United States, uh, that care about the rights of the unborn. All, all of those things are important. Uh, so we need to be informed by these stories, but also they're really good at just giving us an opportunity to pray, right? For, for our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution, because they're actually having to live out these passages uh, about uh, facing trials and tribulations of, of many kinds, right? The Bible doesn't say if we face them or we might face them. Uh, it's a guarantee that we're going to face them. And so many of these believers uh, living in restricted countries like China or like uh, nations in the Middle East, they're actually dealing with day in and day out violent persecution that's really pushing back against their faith. And often, we talked about this on the podcast yesterday, we're seeing their faith flourish in the midst of it. Uh, so we just need to continue to pray that they continue to trust and rely on the Lord and that we would have that same kind of faith. Absolutely. What an example, right, to all of us around the world. I'm just seeing how intense and powerful that faith is. 
All right, I want to I want to transition into our focus story now. And Trey, this is one of your favorite topics, Disney. Um, we've been covering <laughs> this a lot on the show, but Disney has apparently been struggling at the box office. Tell us a little bit about the losses. Yeah, so you wrote about this, uh, Billy, not that long ago. It was actually earlier this month. Uh, the Walt Disney Company announced that they're working on a German series uh, called Pauline. Uh, it's about a teenage girl who essentially has a, a one-night stand uh, with the devil, which obviously that's as disturbing as it sounds with just that descriptor. So I'm not certain that I would ever want to see what actually is going to happen on screen when this show actually makes it to Disney+. Plus. Um, but with that context in mind, uh, Disney has lost about $900 million uh, in the box office after releasing eight movies in theaters, four of which being MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, which, which generally obviously garner a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of uh, attendees because that's a really, really successful franchise for Disney. But even still with Lightyear, Thor Love and Thunder, Strange World, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, The Little Mermaid, and Elemental, they collectively spent $2.75 billion to bring all of those to market. Uh, and they earned only $1.86 billion, which of course I say only $1.86 billion is a whole lot of cash, uh, but it's still a huge loss when you consider how much they spent. So that's a shortfall of $890 million for Disney. Wow. You know, you look at this brand, this is a brand that before all of the most recent chaos really was one of those rare gems, meaning that people loved it, right? You, you had people who trusted Disney, who loved Disney. There are very few brands that have sort of invaded every facet of entertainment in life. And Disney has been one of those brands. So what is the cultural significance behind all of this? Well, you've talked to, to Mike Signorelli. He's a pastor of, of V1 Church in New York City. We've got a, a video of uh, an interview you did with him actually on this story about Disney on faithwire.com right now. Uh, but he talked about the history of Disney, right? And Walt Disney, he wanted to create content for he, his kids to watch, things that would be wholesome and that would teach uh, quality life skills and would teach valuable moral lessons uh, for kids to watch. And just two generations later, essentially, uh, look where Disney has shifted to. Uh, one of those movies that I mentioned, uh, Strange World, it's an animated film that's, uh, of course, geared toward children, because that's what Disney is known for, is making content that's kid and family friendly. Uh, and it featured a romantic relationship between two male characters, uh, which, of course, that came after Lightyear, which is a spinoff of the Toy Story saga, which, again, is geared toward children. Uh, and that featured a, a same-sex kiss between two female characters. So Strange World lost $197 million at the box office. Lightyear right before that lost $106 million uh, at market. So I think it, this is the issue, right, is that there are people who are wanting quality content. And there was a day, like you said just a minute ago, uh, Billy, there was a day when you could kind of trust, okay, it's on Disney Channel or it's a Disney movie. We don't need to vet it. I can just take my family and we can go watch this movie. Uh, but that's not the case anymore, right? That the there there are studios that are pushing uh, these woke messages or these leftist messages 
And really those two words I'm I'm using, leftist and woke, uh, really are not good descriptors because the truth of the matter is they're pushing messages that are really antithetical to scripture and God's design. And that's the core of it. That's the the heart of the issue is that these movies and these shows are pushing lessons that that are intentionally opposed to what God says about sex and uh, identity and, and our, our, how we were created. Uh, even their latest film uh, for, from Pixar, Elemental, uh, it's the first movie, which again, this one's geared toward children. It's Disney's first movie to include a non-binary character. Uh, so Disney is not backing down on any of this, despite losing $900 million in the box office over these last two years, year and a half. Yeah. And again, it's coming. We talked about this on yesterday's show, but it's coming at a time when the public is shifting more toward, at least right now, you know, social conservative values. And it's at least self-identifying that way. So it's really interesting because I do think there's a reaction to this and we'll have to continue monitoring this. I think the, the final question here is how should Christians respond to this? You know, I think it's interesting, right, if you look at the way Christian entertainment has shifted uh, over the last really just five years, right? There are some big players. Uh, Pureflix is a big one. Angel Studios is a big one. Uh, Great American Family, obviously that's not explicitly Christian, but it's conservative and friendly, you know, Christian content or, or content that's friendly to Christian audiences. Uh, so th- th- there are these different players that have kind of cropped up over these last few years and the quality of that content is getting better uh, and better. Uh, So I think Christians are responding and saying, well, if the world is not going to serve me or pay attention to us anymore as an audience, then we've got to create other avenues. We've we've got to create spaces for ourselves. Uh, And what's interesting is that it's proving to be competitive even in Hollywood, right? Look at movies like Jesus Revolution, and I can only imagine uh, those two movies uh, from the Irwin brothers were a huge box office success, uh, much bigger than anticipated. Uh, so I, I think the, the Christian genre is proving that it's more than just a niche genre, right? There are people who are Christian, obviously, but even non-Christian, uh, conservative, and even kind of middle-of-the-road people who are eager for this kind of content. So I think we need to be vetting this, the kinds of things that we're, we're watching, especially the things we're exposing our kids to, and then supporting these kinds of projects that are really geared toward uh, toward our, our belief system, right, that are cropping or, or, or promoting uh, the things that we know to be true, that are morals that are actually in line with Scripture, as opposed to the content that's that's vehemently opposed to Scripture. No, absolutely. A lot to unpack there, Trey. Thanks for bringing that story today. And that brings us to today's main thing. As pro-life activists and organizations celebrate the one-year anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade, a number of questions have popped up. A lot of people are wondering what the state of abortion is, where the battle lines are being drawn, and what's to come. We are going to be joined by Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, to take us through all that and more on today's main thing. So we are now one year out from the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision. In your view, how has the abortion landscape changed over the past year? Wow. What a huge difference one year makes after 50 years of trying. We're at the starting line. So in one year, uh, we uh, in the pro-life movement and the people of this country have passed uh, 24 states, have passed strong pro-life protections, uh, anywhere from conception up to 12 weeks. 
Um, those are contested, of course, uh, some in, a few handful in the courts. And then also uh, the abortion lobby is moving into our territory. It's a Gettysburg moment uh, because that our, they're trying to insert the so-called right to abortion in state constitutions. So that so, you know, there, there's a lot of wins and then there's a lot of pushback fueled by fury and money. Uh, and then, of course, there's a, the landscape on the federal level is uh, very, is dynamic as well, because this is now for the first time truly a national conversation, because that national conversation will actually have an effect about what the law should be in our nation, finally. Yeah, I mean, you have that national conversation. <clears throat> you then have these local, these 50 local conversations, these state conversations going on. As mm-hmm. you mentioned, you know, how hard has it been to shift, you know, the mindset from we want to, you know, topple Roe, we would love to see Roe overturned to, okay, now, not that you weren't fighting these battles before, but now we have all of these individualistic battles that are shifting and changing so quickly. How difficult has that been? It's a completely different story because now none of it is theoretical. I mean, for instance, the 24 states that have passed these laws, the result is that 60,000 Uh, Children will live rather than die. Their mothers will be served in the way or have been served. They have the opportunity to be served uh, in ways that they really deserve and need. So, uh, but in answer to your question, um, yes, it's uh, it is a completely different story. It means that the movement that has always been there, which is organic, never been top down, the organic pro life movement that understands its political muscle, is now ready and is already flexing that muscle. And so it's beyond what any one group or anyone could do while we are engaged in so in all of these battles. Um, it is really where we shine. Uh, and, the, and Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby uh, has certainly more money. They always have more money than we do. But we also always have the army that they do not have. Uh, and so what part of it is they're rallying around a 10 percent issue that now would be real late term abortion all abortion up into the end paid for by taxpayers passing a federal law to establish that and knock down all of our laws that's their goal that's a really unpopular position and all we're doing is allowing the wheels of democracy to turn and making sure that we're advocating for the life of that child and we can't outstrip the will of the people if we do we'll get the pushback um, that always comes when you overreach but it's actually a beautiful thing to watch to see that expression making its way into the law finally Yeah, I mean, one of the hardest things on this issue is you'll see headlines that say, oh, you know, polls show support for abortion is higher than it's, you know, ever been. You know, you'll see those polls and then you'll see other polls that say, well, wait a minute. No, more Americans than ever want to see life protected. And it has to do with the gestational age at which people are comfortable with abortion. And my point in in the question here is that it's such a complicated issue with so many different feelings and emotions and thoughts on where a cap should happen, what that should look like. You know, right now this is turned back to the states and states can make those choices. How do you find that balance? And I know this is a struggle because people in the pro-life movement do have very different views about 15 weeks, 20 weeks, you know, mm-hmm. six weeks. How do you yeah. how do you strike that balance in your position? Well, I don't feel that I have the obligation to strike it in my own mind, and I'll say why. (laughs) Because I think our job is to press as hard as we possibly can, be as ambitious as we possibly can in every arena that we have. In other words, in every legislature we have, including the Congress, press as far as we can to actually get protections passed. And so, you know, if we're holding out for something that is that is going to take 10 years, not five years. And I'm saying some of this is long term, unfortunately, but it is. 
um, then well, the cost of that is real human beings, you know, fewer than if we uh, went to conception on the, on the national level. We should be there. But if we press for only that, in my opinion, we're going to lose lives that we could have saved by, by that incremental approach. I hate leaving anybody out, but it is how human rights movements have worked over time. It's a grievous decision. It's a difficult decision. So we do have to, as you say, balance it in our own minds. But the main thing that we have to do is to try to calibrate as accurately as we possibly can the level of ambition. How ambitious can we be and still pass a law? That's what's happening in every single state, and that's what's happening on the federal level. When it comes to um, the Republican Party in general, how how this is marketed and discussed, it seems like there's sometimes, because of these issues, it's sometimes difficult in your mind. And I'm not asking you to solve all the problems here, but I, you know, if you were giving advice to people on how to communicate this issue in a factual and compassionate way, um, people on on the right of center, how would you how would you encourage them to do that? Well, this is my my job. And so I spent a lot of time doing this. And uh, Kellyanne Conway has joined me now to do this because we we think that uh, there needs to be a very high level focus on this right now, moving into midterms and state elections all over the country. And so it's it's actually relatively simple. Stand in the crowd. That's the 70 percent crowd, not the 10 percent crowd. (laughs) And uh, and what I mean by that on the federal level is the 70 percent who actually think protection should be first trimester, 15 weeks, whatever, at least align with them and then contrast your position with your opponent who is for unlimited abortion up uh, up until the end paid for by taxpayers, that's a 10 at best 15% issue. So when you see, you don't want to stand in that crowd, that crowd crowd's really small. So, um, uh, and, and when you look at that 70%, you realize by logically, it has to be made up of pro-choice people, label it self-labeled, has to be made up of, of women, of Democrats, independents, and it is. It's a way to start uh, driving a truck through the gap that is in the Democratic Party on this, because all Democrats are not for this crazy regime that they're in. That's what I would, that's what we advise. Well, and, and it is it is very important to note this because people can pull those numbers on first trimester abortions and where the country stands right now, and the country's in a, a strange position because this is a complicated issue and you're just a year out from a major overturning of Roe. But when you look at the numbers, the vast majority of Americans, to your point, do want to see restrictions on abortion of some sort. They, I mean, that's the 70% figure you're talking about. We've seen this again and again, that there is much more support for restricting abortion than there is for saying it's a free for all up to birth. As you were saying, that's a small percent, a very small percentage of people. And so it is a big sweeping wide group that needs to be attracted on that. And that can be attracted with the right language, I would imagine. But I want to shift gears to another issue, because one of the things that we have seen since even before Roe was overturned in the months leading up to it are attacks on Mm -hmm. pro-life, you know, crisis pregnancy centers, even churches. And these have seemed to ramp up. What do you make of that? Wow, it's the sound and the fury. You know, it's it's when the hornet's nest is shaken up. There are many, many metaphors. But one thing is very clearly true, that uh, every single win that we have is an immense loss for them. So they've lost in 24 states. And if you take the 10% position, you stand to lose also if people find out what that position is. So uh, they, uh, in their words, and maybe in their hearts, they believe that they're fighting for the human rights of a woman. 
we know that there are human rights of both that have to be protected. So this violence across the country, uh, 90 incidents at last count, they're after uh, churches, they're after pro-life pregnancy centers, they're after pro-life leaders, they're after anybody that would stand in the way of the abortion clinic. And so that includes people praying, people on their knees, being victimized by just random random people, and the FBI being used to come in and, and victimize pro-life people instead of actually going after the violence on pro-life people all over the country. That was definitely an interesting conversation, a lot to unpack there on abortion and where things currently stand. And that leaves us with time for one last thing. The verse is Psalm 73:26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Just a reminder that no matter what befalls us, no matter what happens, that we can always turn to God, that he will give us the strength. He will help us pull through. And that's a great message to get us through any day, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good reminder, too, that our feelings and what we feel in our heart is not necessarily the best compass. In fact, Scripture tells us it's absolutely the worst compass we can use. So uh, this verse is a good reminder to rely on the Lord's uh, on the Lord's leading and Scripture uh, for how we should how we should move in, in our lives. There you go. You heard it on the show here. The heart is a broken compass. Thank you, Trey. That is really true and really uh, very good. And that is all the time we have today uh, for the show. If you want news with a Christian perspective, subscribe, leave a rating. Again, you can email us at quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Don't forget to subscribe to the CBN Quick Start email newsletter as well. And Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. We'll see you back here tomorrow.